see people take their next step in water baptism. Come on, let's give them a big hand this morning. Amen. You ever had someone in your life that just um, kind of enabled you to go places that you hadn't gone before? You ever had somebody like that? Just, you know, just because you were in relationship with this person, there was like access to maybe something or someone or someplace that, that you wouldn't necessarily be able to go. I have a person in my life just like that. His name was uh, Wild Man Bill Womack. Wild Man Bill Womack. Uh, Wild Man Bill Womack is m- my first cousin. He's six years older than me. And uh, Wild Bill, as, uh, as you can tell, put the next picture up there. I think you, got, you should have two pictures. There's two, all right? Wild Bill's a big boy. <laughs> He's a big boy. Uh, we grew up together, and uh, Wild, Wild Bill played football. He's always been a big guy. He's 6'5", 6'6", and probably here he's probably 285, 290. He, he's, he's still a power lifter. I mean, he lifts, I don't know, 400 pounds. I don't know, he lifts a lot of weight. I know that. And uh, just like he looks there, he's kind of, that's kind of his persona. That's his character. And Wild Bill, uh, when we were uh, young people in our early, you know, later teens and early 20s, he had just uh, finished football at the University of Arizona. He played linebacker. And um, he was a, a bouncer in a nightclub. And at that time of my life, I wasn't allowed to go on into nightclubs. But because I knew him, I had access I was able to get into these places. He took me places that I would have not been able to go just because I was associated with Bill. I'd say, Bill, Bill Womack's my cousin. He'll let me in. Oh, no problem. Go right on in. And I had that kind of experience. But a couple of years later, we both got saved, like, right at the same time. And, I mean, we got good saved. Wild Bill now became Wild Bill for Jesus. And, uh, and everywhere it went, man, we were just talking about Jesus. He was talking about Jesus. And, Still struggled, you know, with that old nature. He kind of hothead guy. He liked to roll around on the ground with people. Actually, he didn't roll around too often. He just punched them and knocked them out. That's kind of how it went for him. But um, we were on a job site. My dad and my uncle, they owned a construction company, and we were working as painters on this job site. And uh, we had really radically gotten saved. The music that we cha- you know, that we listened to changed. The, the places that we went to changed. The the things we talked about changed, and I had this little boombox. It must have been probably 1984. I think it was 1984, and um, had this boombox, and we were listening to Christian music, and there were some guys that were next to us, and they had a boombox, and uh, all of a sudden, it became dueling boomboxes on the job site. We were doing some painting, and we were listening to Carmen, and I can still remember that. Remember the old, I think we actually had a cassette tape back then. I think it was just a little past eight tracks, but it was a cassette track time. And uh, we were listening to Carmen. We were worshiping Jesus. And these guys started making fun of us. And I'm thinking, man, they don't want to do that. They don't know Wild Bill. They're like, come on, don't do that, guys. And so one of the guys, he pulled out his boom box. And, you know, we're playing Carmen. They're playing ACD, Say Hideaway to Hell or something. And, and it got really, really intense on the job site. I mean, it got really, you could feel it. I, I, I mean, I've felt like tense moments before, but you could actually feel like a spiritual battle taking place on the job site. It was, and so my cousin, we just, he was praying, and I was praying, and we were singing, you know, we were singing a Carmen song, and, and probably about two or three minutes into this atmosphere, there was this huge explosion. It was like, boom! And there was this, you know, one of those uh, electric meters, electric meter that was directly in front where my cousin and I were standing, it literally exploded off the wall. 
and the power to this whole apartment complex completely shut down and all the music went silent. And I remember the song that was playing. The song that Carmen sang was about the blood of Jesus. He was actually saying the name of Jesus when that electrical box blew up, blew up, exploded. It was so eerie. It was like, wow. It was in that moment I really knew. I, I mean, I had encountered Jesus, but I really knew that there was power in the name of Jesus. If you have your Bibles with me this morning, we're looking at Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, we're going to talk this morning about the power that is in the name of Jesus. The power that is in the name of Jesus. Can you stand with me this morning for the reading of God's Word? Guys in the back, I'm going to just kind of goof you up a little bit. We're going to go verses 1 through 11 and then go down to verse 16. All right. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple, to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Everyone would say, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. King James here says, rise up and walk. The enemy just says, walk. Rise up and walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Now picture this. This guy has never walked in his life before, and in one instantaneous moment, his life is radically changed. He goes from being a lame man to a walking man. He jumped to his feet. He's praising and jumping and singing to God. Verse number 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man he used to sit begging at the temple called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running into the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And then verses 12 through 15, Peter preaches, actually the rest of the chapter, Peter preaches a message. But I want you to skip down to verse number 16. And by faith in the name of Jesus, did you hear this? By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see now has been made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Here's my one big idea this morning. I want you to hear this this morning. The empowered church lives, loves, and proclaims the power of His name. The empowered church lives, loves, and proclaims the power of the name of Jesus. I believe that this morning. And I'm going to talk to you about that name today. Our pastoral prayer moment today, we're going to pray for our food pantry minister here at City Church. We have some awesome leaders. I believe that's Ms. Vicki Elabusi and maybe Michelle and some of the other workers there. This was from Operation Blessing. And over the last few months, we've had a great demand in our food pantry. The next picture kind of shows you some of the cupboards down there. And uh, I would encourage you, if you could do something towards us, it would be a great thing. But I want us to pray for this, for this food ministry, this outreach ministry into this community, that we'll be able to continue to share the love of Christ 
through this opportunity. Let's pray this morning for the leaders in this ministry. Father, we thank you for Ms. Vicki Olabusi. We thank you for the leadership team, Lord, a city church that has a heart to bring your love to this city one person at a time. And Lord, for the opportunity that we can share our food and we can be a blessing to the people that are in this local church, but also that come here during the week from the community. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that you have given us a heart to serve and to give and to love. And Lord, for every person that's in this room, I pray that they'll have ears to hear, spiritual ears to hear, that there truly is power in your name. And Jesus, when I speak, everything I say would bring glory to that name. I love you, Lord, and I pray that you'll bless your people in your awesome and mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. Last week we talked about the Acts 2.42 church, the empowered church that lives life together in community. And simply put, we talked about we're just better together. When we do our lives and we, we serve God and, and we have meals and we talk about the Bible with other Christians, other believers, we're just better. We're, we do life better together. In the Acts 2.42 principle, we see the, the early church, which I believe to be a pattern for the church for all time. I believe that with all of my heart. We see them. They would go to the temple. They would meet in homes. They would talk about scriptures. They would pray together. They would worship together. They, they would have meals and break bread. And then there were some really powerful things that took place. There were some really powerful results that took place. There were signs and wonders. There were miracles that took place. I mean, bona fide healings. The, the disciples were just carrying out the mission for which Jesus had told them to do. If you remember the Gospels, Jesus called the, the disciples to himself. And the Bible says that he sent them out. And he gave them authority and power over unclean spirits. And to do miracles and healings among the people. There was a spirit of extravagant generosity. I mean, the people were selling their homes. They were, they were emptying out their bank accounts. They were taking care of one another. They were really serving the needs of one another. They were truly being a family. And because of this, there was great favor. The people who weren't followers of Jesus yet just saw there was something different about this community. There was just a sense of love and care and warmth for one another. And the church began to grow. The church began to grow exponentially by thousands of people right here at the very beginning. And we believe that that's always the pattern of Jesus. Jesus always wants people saved in every generation. Jesus always wants people healed. Jesus always wants people to experience his delivering power. Now we find ourselves in Acts chapter 3, and we see a miracle. It's a pretty pronounced miracle. It's a, it's a pretty unique miracle and that a person who had never walked before experiences the healing power of Jesus in his legs that make him walk. I want you to look at verse number 3 with me. I want you to see something, a characteristic of the empowered church. See, the empowered church were people who understood and knew the dynamic and the importance of prayer. They understood the priority of prayer in their life. In the first verse, it says that one day Peter and John were going up the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. They had made prayer a priority in their life. It, it was something that they, that they did. They, it was just a habitual part of their experience, their religious expression and faith in God. But notice they didn't just do it alone. It was Peter and John. There were two of them. You know, the Bible talks about the power of two. The Old Testament says one will put a thousand to flight, two will put ten thousand to flight. There's something powerful about the prayer of people coming and together who are of like precious faith. And Peter and John had both encountered Jesus at the resurrection. 
their life had been radically altered and changed. God had poured out His Spirit. Man, they, they knew now. They knew the God, not just from out there, but they knew God in here, the God who forgave, the God who cleansed, the God who had mercy on them. And they're walking to the temple, which was their pattern. It was their pattern to pray. You know what happens when you gather with other Christians and you pray? There's an increased sense of the reality of the presence of Jesus. You felt it here this morning. You felt it in the worship time. You felt it when we were singing. Sometimes we don't even quite know what it is. Maybe if you're new to our experience or the way that we worship or the way that we express ourselves, you're not even sure what it is, but you sense something. You just sense something. Maybe you're at home sometimes and you just, you'll play a YouTube video or you play a worship song and you can just feel the presence coming to that place. Well, that's what happens when God's people come together because Jesus said, where two or three of you are gathered together there in my name, I will be there in your midst. So now these men who've encountered Jesus are walking in step with the commission that Jesus had given to them. And they're people of prayer. They are people of prayer. As a matter of fact, if you look at what the Jews did in this biblical time, actually a previous thousand years before this, during the time of Ezra, they would go to the temple at 9 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and 12 o'clock every single day. 3,000 years later, if you go into an Orthodox Jewish community, even to this day, the men meet at 9 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and 6 o'clock every single day. They go to the place to express their worship to God as a group of people. And Peter was not a Christian at this time. They'd never even heard the word before. He was just a, simply a follower of Jesus. He was a Christ follower. He was a Jew. And he's on his way to the temple. And he's about to engage God in prayer. I want to challenge us today. I don't know about you, but spiritual disciplines in my life don't come automatic. Eating comes automatic. Sleeping comes pretty automatic. <laughs> right? <laughs> Driving fast in my car comes automatic. I and mean, there's some things in my life that, you know, they just come fairly easy. But I've found generally that things that are good for me are not necessarily so easy. Things that are, things that are you know, that I know I should do, like, I should not eat that large plate of Mexican food at 10.30 at night. But I'm just so hungry. Right? It's not as easy. I mean, things that I know that I should do, like read my Bible and pray, I have to really make a decision. Now, I've been doing it a long time, and it's not always as difficult as sometimes as it, as it is at other times, but I've learned some principles about developing spiritual habits in my life. My wife and I were talking about this yesterday, and my wife is the guru on organization and, and getting things done. She actually lives by this book called Getting Things Done. It's just her world. And, and she says, if you're going to get things done and develop good habits in your life, like you have to automate the necessity. You have to automate the important. You know what that means? You just have to automatically have it in your to-do list that you're going to do this today. And this is how you develop good habits in your life. One of the things that we've done here as a church and as a staff is that we have prayer times put on the calendar. Everybody in the staff knows that at 8.30 we're in the auditorium and we're praying together. We've automated the important things that we need to do in our life. We automate it. You can go through our whole church calendar and you will see the times that the church prays is put on the calendar. But I would say not just as a staff, I would just say this for your life. 
Have a time in your life that you, that you set aside to pray to God. Put it on your calendar. If you're old, fa- you know, use the old fashioned, you still use the paper calendar, write it on your paper calendar every day. Whatever time it is, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 8 o'clock, whatever time you do it at the end of the day. I, I'm not your judge, and I'm not here to tell you how to do it. I'm just telling you that you need to do it. Just automate it. Make it important. Write it on your calendar. I also challenge people to use a prayer card or a prayer list. We have these Lord, Lord's Prayer cards that we use around here, and we have them in the back at times in different seasons. And I, I have found that it's really helpful for me to have a pattern of prayer. A couple of months ago, I taught on the Acts principle, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. But find a, a way for you to kind of focus your mind in your prayer life. Because if not, I mean, you'll get into two minutes of prayer, and next thing you know, you'll be looking at your phone. I can see right now, some of you right now, you're looking down at your phone. I mean, I see it all the time. And there's a tendency for us to be distracted in our prayer time. But once you get going into it, once you start praying and talking to the Lord and start having communion with God and spending time with Him, it just becomes a habit. It becomes a good habit in your life. Another thing that I would encourage you to do is to find a prayer partner. I mean, there are times that we pray alone, but we see Peter and John and the disciples, they had people that they prayed with. Because there's something powerful about coming into an agreement with other people to pray. Uh, this week has been a really busy week, and we had meetings, and Pastor Glenn and I, we had something to talk about this week. It was really, really, uh, you know, very intense, and he just walked in, and, and sometimes we'll just start talking. We'll just, you know, try to fix all the problems, whatever we're working on, save the world. I said, we're saving the world, you know, one, one staff meeting at a time. And he came into my office, and, and as soon as he sat down, he goes, let's pray. I said, all right, that sounds good. <laughs> That's a good way to start a meeting. Let's just pray. Come on. The fact is, is that this is what I've discovered about prayer, is that prayer works every time it's tried. It works. And so we find someone to come into an agreement with. Join a small group of people. All kinds. Of, those are just some really basic principles. They were on their way to prayer. The second thing that I want you to see here is found in verses 2 through 5. The empowered church shows compassion to those who who are in need. Look at verse number two with me. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. He was carried to where? The temple gate. This gate called the Beautiful Gate. There were nine gates that, that led entryway into the temple mount area. And this was the most spectacular. Uh, of the nine gates, this gate was the biggest. It was the most ornate. They were all had been very de- beautifully decorated by Herod. But this particular gate was so large and so big that it took 20 men to open and shut the gates. It was massive. And this man had been sitting here at the temple. Now, the temple is interesting because the temple represents, in the Old Testament, it represents the presence of God. It represented the place that God dwelt. In the Holy of Holies, they would go and they'd do their sacrifices. The high priest would go once a year and all that. You can study the Jewish system. But, but it represented the place where God was. Here this man sat on the outer part of the temple, never quite able to get in. He was, he was sitting on the outside. And here come two guys, two men who had been with Jesus, two men who had, who had been empowered by Jesus, two men that had encountered Jesus and now were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were walking by. They were walking by this gate and they encountered this man who's just sitting there. The location to me is significant in that this location represented a place that Jesus had obviously seen this person. 
I mean, the fact is Jesus had probably walked this way or by this way dozens of times, if not hundreds of times in his lifetime. This was the city of Jerusalem, the holy city. This was the temple. You know, the fact is is that Jesus had walked by this man even during his time of ministry, who Jesus healed multitudes of people, opened blinded eyes, made the lame to walk. Jesus never healed him. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus didn't heal him in that moment because God had something else for him another time, another season. And it's sometimes when we read stories like this about the supernatural and, and about miraculous, the miraculous and the healing, you must understand that there are seasons in God. And when you're praying for God to do something in your life, don't become frustrated because it doesn't happen instantaneously. There are miracles like this that happen instantaneously, but there are other seasons and times because the fact is that God is sovereign. God does see. God does know. But he hasn't changed. He has your best in mind. You know, when, when, when some bad things happened to some people, there was a tower of Siloam that fell down and there were a bunch of people killed. They, they came to Jesus and they said, why did this tower fall down on these people? Did, did they do something bad or their parents do something bad? And Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't understand. Uh, this happened at that time to fulfill this, that God would be glorified. Now, I don't know how all this works, but what I realize that in my life is that setbacks and struggles are setups for God's glory to show himself in my world. Setbacks and struggles are setups for God to show himself strong in my life. This man had no expectation. He went to that, that gate that day with no expectation that he was going to be healed. He, it was just another day in paradise. <laughs> it was just another day begging. It was just another day of being dependent upon other people. But there's something about this man. I want you to look at verse number three. It says, he asked them for money. He asked them for money. What would have happened if he didn't ask? They just just would have walked right on by. Just think about it. He asked. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. You know, in Christian theology today, there's this whole movement, you know, about God that was in a former time. He doesn't work like that today. And God's sovereign and he knows everything. And so, therefore, you don't really, you know, you can pray, but you just can't put any kind of expectation on it. And, and I'm like, I'm reading my Bible, and I don't have any theology behind me. If I didn't, I just read my Bible. I would just simply believe what Jesus said. Ask, and you shall receive. <laughs> Seek, and you shall find. Knock. And the door shall be opened to you. Now, he doesn't say when it's going to happen. He just says, keep doing it. And then in Luke 18, there's this woman. He says, listen, man, she goes before the judge day and night. And she's banging and she's pressing. And finally, she wears the judge out. And he's not even a good judge. And, and she finally gets her petition. She actually, in the King James, says, avenge me of my adversaries. <laughs> and he just says, all right, get out of here. Go ahead. You got, you got your answer. And then Jesus said, How much more your heavenly father, how much more your heavenly father desires to give good gifts to those who ask. And so this man has the power of ask. There's something powerful about it. Uh, The staff around here have learned a little lesson from me when I go ask them to buy something for me. I always say, ask them for the good guy discount. Right? Ask for the good guy discount. Well, pastor, no, 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 no. You don't know. Ask for the good guy discount. Because you're a good guy, and you deserve a break today. <laughs> or you're a good girl. you got God's favor in your life. 
I don't know what's going to happen. Some things you can't negotiate, but sometimes people will negotiate. This man asked. It was the power of the ask. If you're going to receive anything good from God, come on. There's got to be something in you that wants it. There's got to be something. This man knew what he needed. He just needed money to get on another day. He had to ask inside of him. Then look at the disciples' response in verse number 4. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Peter could have just walked on by. But there was something in Peter's heart. It was the heart of compassion. The fact is the miraculous, the supernatural, always flows as a result of people being compassionate towards one another. Tommy Barnett, who is one of the great pastors in America, he's been pastoring longer than I'm probably alive, he he had a saying. He used to say, you want to see your church grow? Find the need in your community and fill it. Find the need. There was a need that was right before them. And because compassion motivated Peter, he was about ready. He was about ready to step in and see this man's life changed. Uh, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, what is this, February 15th? So February 1st, there was a young man by the name of Evan Leedy. Evan Leedy was on his computer looking at Facebook, and he read this. The story popped up about this guy here, James Robertson. James Robertson, two days before in the Detroit Free Press, the story had come out that for 11 years, 11 years, he walked to work, 21 miles total, 11 miles or 10 and a half miles each way. He walked 21 miles to and from work for 11 years. He never complained. He was never late in Detroit, Michigan, through the snow, backwards, razor blades on his feet, you know what I mean? Over the hill, over the dale, trail, you know, however he did it, 11 years, he walked to work 21 months. Uh, Evan was reading this, and, and his heart was just touched. And so real quick, he just threw up a, if you don't know about you know, the, the world out there now, but there's, a, there's this thing called GoFundMe, and uh, he threw up a GoFundMe account, and he set the goal for $3,000. Got up, went into the bathroom, took a shower, came back a half an hour later, and there was already $2,000 that had been donated. He's like, oh, I need to raise the goal. So he put it at 5000 And then just with another half an hour, another hour, I mean, the dollars kept pouring in. Within seven days, Evan had to shut the account down. You know why? Because $350,000 came into this man's account. $350,000. They were interviewing Evan, and he was like, hi, man. He goes, this guy has never complained. He just does what he has to do. He works at an $11-hour job at some kind of plastic manufacturing plant in Detroit. He just keeps showing up, keeps showing up. He said, I had to do something. One man's touch of compassion. You know, the fact is, James Robertson, he wasn't expecting anybody to do anything. He didn't ask anybody. Now, that's the mercy of God. That's the grace of God. But one act of compassion changed his life. Peter, one act of compassion changed this man's life. We must never forget that the heart of the gospel is to show compassion to those who are hurting in their bodies, their souls, or their spirits. It's the message of the gospel to preach good news to the poor. And it isn't just necessarily financially poor. It can be spiritually poor. It can be mentally poor. It can be physically poor. The heart of the gospel is to preach good news to those who are held captive. To preach good news so that the year of liberty and freedom can come to those who are held in Satan's chains. To preach good news to those who are perishing, who need a Savior. It's the heart of Jesus today. (laughs) 
Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. You cannot read the Bible, all the New Testament, without seeing this theme of taking care and helping meet the needs of other people. It's the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of what God's about. God helped you when you didn't deserve it. God lifted you up out of the miry clay when, you were, when your name was mud. God picked you up and he turned you around and he placed you in a place that you never deserved. As a matter of fact, Paul says that place is in heavenly places. God's brought you into a spiritual dimension. The moment you say yes to Jesus, he changed your world. You didn't deserve it. This man sat him by the lame gate, wasn't expecting anything. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, verse number five, it says, This man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Expectation. What do you expect? When you came to church today, what did you expect from God? What did you expect? another church let's check it off your box what did you expect you want to see God move in your life you got to expect God to move in your life uh, you guys know this instinctively if you've been involved in any kind of athletics or dealing with business or even in your work you ever get in that groove at work just get in that groove like everything you just know like the next decision is the right one the next thing you do you're just whatever you're doing whatever your work is you're playing sports and Pastor Glenn and I were talking about, but he's a great basketball player, a great golfer. I've never quite felt the flow on golf before, but I have felt the flow on basketball before. And like, I just knew, as soon as I got that ball, I'm, I'll make this shot. I was a great, I was outside three-point shooter, man. Don't get me in the, don't, don't, don't let me jump too short and I'm white and I can't jump. So don't let me get down in the middle. I'll just stay outside and shoot three-pointers. And I just, when I come up, I just knew the moment I let go of that ball, it was bam, I knew it was going to hit. Right? There was an expectation. There was a sense that this was going to work. Peter looks at this guy is expecting something, but Peter now is walking in step with God. He, he knows what he's called to do. He's been given authority to do this. He believes it. Get ready to go bold. <laughs> go God. Oh. This power of expectation in your life and mine. This is where God starts to move supernaturally in our midst. This is where things, miracles start to happen in people's lives. There was an old song that came out in the 80s that said, I anticipate the inevitable, supernatural intervention of God. I, I expect a miracle. I expect a miracle. I know he's in a different key than I am, but I expect a miracle. What are you expecting from God? expecting God to do. Look what happens here. Look what happens here. <laughs> Verse number six. Because see, the power church experiences miracles in Jesus' name. Silver and gold I don't have, brother, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. The impossible became possible because one person was willing to step out one person was willing to believe. One person was willing to grab that man by the hand and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Wow. You can read New Testament scriptures over and over and over. The prayers that we are to pray in Jesus' name. Not in our name, not in our power. In Jesus' name. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name. 
This is the confidence, John says, that we have in Him. That whatever we ask in His name, He will hear. And it is His will to give to us. Wow. I, amen. There's all these whys pop into your mind. You know what? You're wise. You're wise. And how comes will never lead you to the right answer. You know what it is? Just, God, what do you want me to do? I just believe. You're like, God, I do believe, but, you know, help my unbelief. Well, just believe. Just believe. Keep praying. Keep trusting. The fact is, I've seen this in a church. We were talking, my wife and I were talking about this this week in 1997. God just moved in my life in a really powerful way. Actually, it had started in 96, 95, 96. I had you know, started ministry in early 1990s. And we had seen God do some really great things in the church. Lots of people saved. And this church really grew in growth and miracles. And, you know, but just, it was good. But it was just never, like I knew there was more. I knew there was more of God. There was more that he wanted to do in our church. And, and I was praying. And the church was praying. The staff that we were on, that everybody was praying. There was an anticipation. There was an expectation. One day, it happened just like this. One day, we, God was moving in our church, and we had some really powerful services. And so we decided to have service the next day on Monday. And we came back to the church on Monday, and there was a lady that I had never seen in my life before. She came into the church, and she had white gloves on her head. And at the end of the service, when the altar call was given, the, the man that was leading the service, he, he, he said, what's wrong with you? And she says, well, I got psoriasis. I had to get the word right there. I get it all over the place. I, she says, I have psoriasis. I can't open my hands. So she came up to the front, and, and I told Pastor, I remember this so clearly. We, we took the gloves off of her, and I stood on top of a chair with a camera and took the picture of her hands. And uh, there was an expectation that she was going to be healed. Now, this is what happened. Takes the hands. I mean, she, they were so covered that if she opened her hands up, they would start to bleed. So we pray. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. So we say to her, come back the next day. That was Tuesday. So come back the next day. God's going to heal you. We're believing. We're declaring it. We're boldly declaring that God's going to heal this woman. And we're speaking this. Say to her, come back the next day. So she comes back the next day. We pray again. And you could see that something was starting to happen. I mean, the hands were still cracked, but they were starting to heal up a little bit. So we prayed again, and nothing happened immediately. But we said, come back tomorrow. Our staff will pray for you again. She came back the next day. It was Wednesday. Wednesday she came back and now she could actually open her hands. Now she still had a lot of that psoriasis on there, but the bleeding had stopped. You could tell that something was happening. We said, come back. We prayed again. We said, come back the next day. We'll pray over you as a staff again. She comes back on Thursday. Thursday she comes back and you could see that healing was really taking place. We prayed over her one more time. We said, come back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. We'll pray again. Guess what, folks? We didn't have to pray the next day because when she came back, she had the hands of baby skin. She was completely healed in Jesus' name. You've got to hear this. You've got to hear this this morning. It lit, it lit off a bomb inside of me. It lit off a supernatural bomb. I don't even know how. I just started. I'm, I'm going to pray for her. Bring them in. I don't care. I'm going to lay hands on I'm going to pray for her. I don't know. I'm not the healer. I'm just going to believe. The next Sunday, we're in worship in a Sunday night service. Remember, we used to do church back on Sunday night back then. <laughs> We used to have Sunday night service in church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Sunday night, we're worshiping. And God was moving. It was quite evident. I mean, that miracle really shook our church up. And people were really hungry for God. And, and, and so next Sunday night, we're all worshiping. And, 
And this guy's up in the front, and he falls over. I don't know, he's under the power. Holy Ghost showed up. He's under the power, you know. Well, he goes under the power. He had a heart attack, a massive heart attack. And so, you know, within a few minutes, we recognized what was happening, and they rushed him down to the hospital. And, and uh, the next day, now, Seattle's a little different than Florida. We, we don't have Florida hospitals. So they don't let pastors just come in and do whatever they want. It's a little more complicated there. But I went down to the hospital. He was in ICU, and they were getting ready to take him in for open-heart surgery. And so they gave me just a couple of minutes to go into the room. I went into the room. I didn't have much time. And, and so I just went. I just prayed a really simple prayer, and I left the room. Because the guy had the heart attack that night. The pastor had got all the secretaries on the phone. They called everybody in the church, and they called a prayer meeting for this man to be healed. There was an expectancy of faith in that place. I, I, I had a pastor friend on staff, and he lived down in another city. And I went to pick him up. We were running late. We're about 15, 20 minutes late for the service. I get to the church on Monday night to the prayer meeting, and the parking lot's full. I walk into the auditorium, and the guy that I had prayed for that morning that was getting ready to go into open heart surgery, guess where he's at? On the platform, telling everybody how God had completely healed him. I'm like, I can't, you know. I mean, come on, wait a second. You're like, you know, I believe. And then when it really happens, you're like, my God, it really did happen. The guy was really healed. This isn't about me. This is not. But you've got to hear this. I want to build your faith today. The next week, the next Sunday, that guy brought his whole family back. He had a sister that was deaf. She couldn't hear I had a mom that had some kind of problem. I don't remember all the details, but I remember at the end of the service, we prayed over this woman, and her hearing, was she was completely healed of being deaf. Whatever the mom had, she was instantly healed. Now we're just going crazy. We're like, this is amazing. God is alive. He's at work in the church. It didn't stop. It didn't stop. We have a man that's, that's one of our pastors here today. His name is Hank Shower. He lived in Seattle at the time. All at the same time, all at the same time, he had a, a, some kind of heart problem, and they went to the doctor, and they found a spot on his lung. He came back to the church the next Sunday, and we prayed over him. He went back to the doctor to get another x-ray to check the heart, and, and, or check the lung, and, and the spot was completely gone. He was completely healed. Hank will tell you the story today. It just set off. You know what it did in my heart? The next year, I moved to Seattle. I moved from Seattle to Orlando. You want to know why I did it, Pastor Glenn? Because I had an expectation that we couldn't fail. The God that could heal people, the God that could deliver people, the God that could set people free. He could take us. Come on. If He could do that for them, it's the heart of God to plant churches. It's the heart of God to start ministries. I just believe that He could do it. I had no idea what I was about to encounter when I got here, but I knew the God that I serve. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. I don't know what you're going through today. That same Jesus that healed that man. That same Jesus that healed. I just told us to build your faith. Because what happens in a church when they start to believe. Man, first of all, this is all about Jesus. The rest of this book, as we go through the book of Acts, it's all about Jesus. Because immediately after this healing, people start gathering around him. And Peter just starts preaching Jesus. Starts preaching Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This thing is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. His death on the cross, his resurrection. It's all about Jesus saving you and changing your life and delivering you from sin and from the evil ones. I mean, you just see it over and over and over. I want you to know, too, this is all about Jesus today. This is Jesus' church. And the writer of Hebrews says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And he's here today because he not only wants to save you, he wants to set you free. He also wants to heal your body. 
I believe that with all my heart today. I want you to close your eyes. You're in this room. You're in this room this morning. Is the worship team here? Can the worship team come? Thank you, guys. Everyone, just close your eyes just for a moment. And you're in this room, and you're far from God. And you just listen. I mean, these are pretty wild stories. I know they are. But I want you to know today that God loves you. 